Good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here. So glad that we get to be together and kick off this day. Uh, you have already kicked it off at some level, caffeination and breakfast and things like that. You are the 1130 service. You are ready. You are ready to go. Uh, and this is going to be a great time together. I'm Caleb. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'm the lead pastor here. And for the past couple of weeks, I want to remind you what we've been talking about. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about why we work. We spend over a third of our life working. And some of us don't like our jobs, some of us like our jobs. If you missed that message, uh, go back and listen to it online or download the podcast or whatever. But we talked about why we do it and the meaning that we can bring to the mundane. Last week, we talked about why we gather like this on a Sunday. I mean, there's football games going on. There's waves to be surfed. There's, there's all kinds of things that we could do in this glorious place that we call home. And yet we're here for a reason. And we're here because we know, we believe, and we have experienced the fact that this matters as a rhythm in our life. So uh, those are the last two messages. In the coming weeks, I'm going to be talking about why and how we grow as people, uh, as whole spiritual beings, mental capacities, emotional capacities, physical capacities, and, and what that looks like. But this morning, I wanted to talk about an idea that helps frame and inform everything else that I just defined. And that's this idea of what makes you happy or not. Because all of us are pursuing happiness at some level, whether you realize it or not. And now you might use a different term. You might think happy is a soft, weak term, uh, and that really the term that you prefer is joy or uh, contentment or satisfaction or whatever. But, but for our purposes for today, I'm, I'm using happy, I'm using all of them as kind of a similar idea, and you'll understand why. Uh, but, but we're all pursuing that, a sense of meaning and purpose, contentment, satisfaction, in life, happiness in general, everybody is at some level. You're, you're going toward things that you think will give you a better experience of life, uh, not toward things that you know are going to bring you pain. It's just it's not how we operate. And so that's what we want to take a look at uh, this morning. And I want, to, I want to expose kind of a, a twist on a, a phrase that I've heard growing up. This, this idea... And maybe some of you are like me, grew up going to church, and, and I had this concept just kind of hammered home to me, and that's that, that God is not interested in your happiness. He's interested in your, in your holiness, right? He doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. And I want to challenge that assumption because I don't think it's entirely true. Because after all, God gave us the capacity for happiness. He gave us the instincts and the desire and the draw toward a more fulfilling, joyful experience of life. Of course, if he says that he wants us to live life to the full, he means that at some level. And of course, if the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament talks about joy over and over again in his experience of it, that there's, there's something there. And if Jesus says that he wants his followers to be salt in the earth, bringing out the flavor of life, and, and salt and light, exposing the things that are beautiful, that there's something. There's something for us. And his wiring and, his, and putting in us this desire to pursue, to experience a level of satisfaction, joy, contentment, and just a common word that we use all the time, happiness. 
And here's where we're going. I want to give you this from your outline. Uh, these are your first two fill-ins, and this is just kind of defining our, our conversation this morning. So I want you to try to wrap your minds around this simple concept. Happiness is about a who, not a what. Happiness is about a who, not a what. Insert joy, insert contentment. Happiness is about a who, not a what. Now you know this because think about your most happy experiences in life. When you've been most excited, most full of joy, think about that as you look back on your life. What were those times? They were like Christmases, right? Uh, When you're with certain people, uh, they were the birth of your child or your grandchild or your marriage, the kind of the the wedding day, uh, these kinds of things. Maybe it was a trip, but if you had just gone on the trip, it would have been beautiful and exciting, but you were there with certain people, which produced joy for you because happiness is about a who, not a what. If happiness were about what, then that would mean that you could just, you know, regardless of what was happening in your life, regardless of if things are out of control and, and so-and-so doesn't like you and you just broke up and you just lost that family member and whatever else, you could just retreat, grab your little happy what and, and pet it and hold it and kiss it and remind yourself that this is all that matters is my happy what. This, this is what gives me joy and satisfaction in life. This is all I need. It doesn't matter that all my relationships are in shambles. I have my, my happy what. But that's not your experience. That's not what life is like. That's not how it plays out. We, we know that that's not true. When we think, when we think that happiness is about a what, uh, it always leads to the what else right? Because you know what it is to think that happiness, that you'll be more happy and satisfied if you get this thing, and then all of a sudden you realize that that thing is old, and and that now there's a new thing, and now there's like a a rose gold edition uh, with a 6S on it, and and now my... My, my six no longer produces happiness because I'm aware that there's a six XS out there that I must have. That will make me happy. When we think that happiness is about a what, there's always a what else. What's next? That's just how it goes. We look for upgrades, improvements, what's better, what's next. And if, if for you, an aging what makes you feel a lack of happiness, then you were never really happy to begin with. You were just marketed to. <laughs> and we have around here this thing called an outreach eye-opener. And what I mean by an outreach eye-opener is when you go on a trip like the Mexico trip or you go and you serve at Pacific Court or, or at uh, Oak View or you go to Africa, you go someplace else and you're putting yourself out there in a place where people have less and you're thinking that you're there to serve them, you often walk back, and people say it to me all the time, how could those people be so happy? They don't have anything. We know from experience that happiness is about a who, not a what. It's not stuff. Uh, Another reality for you parents that have you're more seasoned parents. You've got kids that are maybe perhaps a little bit older, but, but this just drive the point home a little bit further, is that you realize that you will never be happier than your least happy child. Right? Amen. 
Because God is pointing to something there. If they're not happy, you have a difficult time being happy. And gentlemen, you also are aware that you cannot be happier than your least happy wife. Which is an argument in itself, perhaps the best argument against polygamy. Can you imagine having to go from room to room in the morning trying to figure out how happy do I get to be today uh, based on whatever is coming back at me? Happiness is about a who, not a what. It's always tied to relationship, not stuff. Not stuff. And so I want to take you to this this, uh, this verse, this is the most important verse in the Bible, and I try to keep it in front of you at least, at least once a month, because this is, these are the verses that every other verse points to, hinges on. This is, what, this is what it's all about. When Jesus was asked what's the most important thing, he said the most important thing, or commandment, or the way that you should orient your life is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength with everything that you are. And then the second commandment is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment. There is no thing greater than these. In other words, the secret to living the life that God has for you, a full and meaningful life, experiencing true happiness, has to do with relationship. And in the spirit of Dr. Seuss, we're going to look at the who's. Who one, who two, and who three. I want to look at those verses that we just read in reverse order and point out the who's. The who number one is you. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. That you are a who that has a lot to do with your experience of happiness or not. And often, a lot, oftentimes, we tend to minimize or ignore our own selves. And we'll experience a lack of joy, a lack of contentment because of, uh, because of this deficit in us. We'll talk about that more in a few minutes. The second who is others. Jesus says this, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, your neighbor is not simply just the people that live on either side of you. Your neighbor is anyone that you encounter as you go about your life, as you do what you do, the experiences that you have. Those are neighbors, people that you encounter. The who three is God. Ultimately, it's about that. Love the Lord your God. Now, we'll bring that around. I'll explain to you how those are going to play out. But first, I want to just, just make sure that we're clear. When you ask the question, what makes me happy? The answer is no thing. No thing. No thing makes you happy. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you the question. You're going to say it out loud to me, okay? Just, just for fun, just for practice, because we want to drive this idea home. What makes you happy? No thing. No thing. No thing is going to make you happy. Because happiness, joy, contentment are associated with who's, not what's. Now, there's one secret that happy or content people experience. One secret that I want to dive into a little bit this morning. Uh, it's not really a thing. It's more of an idea, an experience of life. And this one secret that happy people have in common is this one word called peace. Peace. And in the scriptures, the word peace uh, is, is this word shalom, which is not just, you know, not being at war, but it's this bigger idea of wholeness, connectedness, harmony, things that are right and the way that they're supposed to be. 
So what we're going to see is that Jesus, and, and in his scriptures, talks a lot about this idea of things being aligned and connected in the way they're supposed to be, and that actually producing true, real, meaningful happiness and joy. That's why you've been around these people. Some of you are these people where chaos and circumstances, they're, they're, just, they're just insane. They're, they're crazy. Things are out of control. And yet you or the people that you know you're thinking of seem to stay under control that they seem to have this perspective that's different. That even though their circumstances, like Kaylee's talking about, are not necessarily happiness-producing, they still have this deep inner sense of peace, contentment, satisfaction, that we could call true, real happiness, beyond circumstances. You know these kind of people. You've experienced that, perhaps. It's as if there's a wholeness, a connectedness with self and others, and God. Now, I want to take us to a story. This is kind of a famous story in, uh, in the Bible from the lifetime of Jesus. Some of you that grew up going to church are familiar with this story. Others of you aren't, but you'll like it. It's a fun story about a guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is not a name that you're used to very much. They're not, not friends of yours, kind of in the cubicle next to you. Zacchaeus, uh, can I have a half of that sandwich? Uh, so I'm going to call him Zacchae for fun. Maybe, maybe that'll help this idea stick this story stick with you today. Uh, I think that we might relate to Zach in a, in a meaningful way. Luke chapter 19, it goes like this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus or Zacchae. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore fig tree to see him. Jesus was coming that way. So a couple of things we know about Zachy is that he's a tax collector. And in that day, tax collectors were despised. No one liked him because the tax collector worked for Rome and they gathered just the ridiculous amount of tax from the people. So Rome, the suppressive Roman government, would employ Jewish people to tax their own friends and family, their own people. And they would allow them to take a cut on top. And so Zachy would go to your door and say, hey, you owe X amount of dollars, like 50% of whatever you make. And, but Rome might be collecting 45% or it might be 60 or whatever. And Zachy would take over and above that and ask for more to line his own pockets. And so no one liked Zachy. He was, he was, not, he was not a good dude. And but he was really good at what he did because he got promoted. And not only was he a wealthy tax collector, he was the wealthiest because he was the chief. So in our city today, he would be one of the wealthiest people in Huntington Beach, comparatively speaking. He, he had a lot of money. We also know that Zachy was a little guy. He couldn't see over the crowd to get to Jesus, so he went and climbed in a tree. Uh, but he also wasn't afraid to climb into a tree. I brought the tree. This is, a, this is an image of a sycamore fig tree, and uh, isn't that good for climbing? Some of you are like, oh, like your childhood's flashing back to you right now. Uh, because, because you don't often see a grown man in a tree. You might see children, you might see teenagers, you might see some people on drugs, uh, but you don't, you don't often see a grown Jewish man perched in the branches of a tree waiting for another guy to come by, not to drop something on him, but just to see him. 
just to get a glimpse, just to try to overhear what he might say. Not only is he a Jewish man, not only is he a super, super wealthy Jewish man, but he's also notorious. Everybody knows who he is because he's the rich guy that takes our money. I wonder, I wonder, if Zacchaeus had a short man complex. You know what I mean? You've heard of this term. All of us probably, all of us at some level have some kind of complex. We, we have this deficit, this thing that we associate with ourselves as being not good enough or not the way that we would want to be. And so whatever ours is, whatever yours is, we have a tendency to overcompensate for that with something else. And I wonder if Zacchaeus, being a little guy, uh, tried to overcompensate for that by working really, really hard and making lots and lots of money. As if to say, I don't care about you and what you guys think of me, or I'm going to prove myself, I'm going to show myself to be valuable. And so he worked so hard, he was found that he was pretty good at numbers, and he got promoted and promoted, and now he's the chief of all the tax collectors just because he wanted to prove himself out of insecurity. I wonder if maybe that had to do with that. I just bring that up because everybody has a story. And oftentimes we read stories from the scripture or that we see or we come in contact with people that irritate us and we stop, we, we don't stop and we forget that everyone has a story. There's a reason why they do the things that they do. And there's a reason why Zacchaeus is this miserable, lonely, isolated, really, really wealthy man. And there's a reason why he's not happy. And he's desperately looking for help. And he thinks that maybe Jesus can help. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus. Let's pause there for a moment. Because those two words really stuck out to me this week. The spot. Now, what's the spot? Like if we go and we find a tree somewhere, is there a plaque and it's like Zacchaeus was here? Probably not. It's not like a particular spot except for it was the spot where Zacchaeus was where Jesus would stop in this spot and look up, see a grown man in a tree, and he would know his name and say, Zacchaeus. Now, I bring that up because I think that you have a spot, a place, a location, somewhere where you encountered Jesus. And maybe, maybe there's a few of you who are here because you haven't yet, and you're wondering if you can or need to. I believe that there's some of you who one day will bring family members, children, grandchildren, back to this silly theater when we're long gone, and you will bring them back here because one of these purple chairs, some Sunday, was your spot. You'll bring someone back and you'll say, right about here, one of these chairs, I was sitting there when Jesus called my name. And he stopped and he saw me and he knew my story and everything changed from that moment on because of that spot. Others of you have maybe multiple spots that you remember in your life where God just intervened and intersected and your life was different after that. That's what happens to Zacchaeus. When he encounters Jesus at this particular spot, he's never the same again. We'll go on. 
He looked up at him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. That Jesus, always hanging out with bad people. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. Did you know that Jesus is still seeking and saving the lost? It's what he does. How many of you know what it is to be sought? When you were just minding your own business and then God just got your attention and your grandmother wrote you this note and then your mom left you this call and then you encountered this person and that person invited you to church and it was like, okay, okay, all right already. I'll go, I'll show up, I'll pray, I'll stop, I'll start, I'll whatever. Or, or you're just kind of haunted by this feeling that God is with you, God is with you, and you're like, I, I kind of want you to be with me when I'm going through hard stuff, but right now, I want to do something bad, and I just wish that you wouldn't be here right now all over the place uh, because, because God is seeking you out. And Jesus still seeks and saves the lost, which, by the way, is all of us. And so we will always be people and a church who participates with Jesus in the seeking and the inviting and the engaging of the lost. Because that's still what he's all about. Now, remember, happy people have a sense of peace, self, others, and God. And we want to look at Zaki's story here as an example of how this played out because Zaki is an example of someone who was kind of a tortured soul. He was discontent. He was greedy, and, and his deception and his greed made him lack peace with himself. That's why he was where he was. That's why he was looking for hope, looking for help, looking, looking for Jesus. When the text says, that Zacchaeus proclaimed, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. What you might not realize, even if you've heard the story a bunch of times, is that the tense of the verb, here and now I give, it literally means I'm in the process of. Like It's a present tense verb. So he was either already giving away money, or he was just that morning, or he would that day. It's a very present tense idea, which means that Zaki is all torn up inside. Like on the one hand, he loves being wealthy and he loves what he does and he loves being the rich guy. On the other hand, he knows that he's messed up. And so he's trying to give some money away to feel better. He wants, to, he wants to do something. On the one hand, he's trying to compensate. He's trying to justify. He's, he's trying to prove himself. And he likes the status. He likes the prestige. He likes all that. On the other hand, he wishes he wasn't so dark. He wishes that he had friends and community and hadn't given up so much for the dollar. He's conflicted, like many of us. A lack of peace with ourselves. 
I remember when I was in college, I walked in, freshman year, I walked into a, a buddy's dorm room, and there's like eight guys. By the way, this is like a PG-13 moment, so if you brought your kids in here, we have children's rooms. You know. uh, but I walked, into this, I walked into this room, and on the screen, these guys are all watching some pornographic thing. And I just froze, and I panicked, and I was like, oh, ew, ew, this feels just, everything about this feels disgusting. And I was like, I have to get out of here. And I just turned and walked away, and they made fun of me and whatever. Because I knew, like, that's not who I want to be. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to engage with that. This, that I, there's nothing there that I want. This is gross. This is, ugh. And yet, at the same time, maybe that same day, for sure that same week, I went and by myself watched similar stuff. Because I know that's not who I want to be. That's not what I want. This is so weird and gross. And yet, there's this thing in me that's just different. It's just, it, it pulls. It's kind of the dark side. There's the, the, that's not what I want. This is who I want to be. And yet, there's this, also, this lack of peace with me. Maybe you can relate to that on some level. There's also a lack of peace in Zacchaeus' story with others. He's giving back to make it right. He's cheated lots of people. And he says, I'm going to give them back four times what I've taken from them. So you know a couple of things. A, he's got a lot of money. And B, he's serious. And that because of this moment and this encounter with Jesus, he sees that he must have, to have peace, he must have peace with others. And he will take a step, a bold, dramatic, generous step in that direction. Not just to have peace with others going forward. Like from now on, I'm not going to cheat anybody anymore. No. He's going to go back and make stuff right. That's a part of having peace with yourself and peace with other people. A willingness to do what you can to make it right. And to live at peace with others. Another scripture says, as far as it goes with you, live at peace with everybody. Now, there's a limit because sometimes people will not reciprocate. And sometimes people won't return your call. And sometimes people do not want to see you. And sometimes people have already died. And sometimes there's just things that you cannot fix and restore. But as far as you can, live at peace with everybody. And in this encounter with Jesus, that's something that Zaki here learns. And then the last thing is peace with God. And this is the ultimate thing. And the thing about it is, here we find that the true way to peace with self and peace with others is through peace with God. That peace with God is actually the path to peace with others and to peace with yourself. And so it's his encounter with the God of the universe who showed up in skin to communicate, to relate, and to save. And it's that encounter, his acceptance, Jesus welcoming Zacchaeus, it's that reality that fuels this passion and this capacity to be able to have peace with others and with himself. Shalom, connectedness, wholeness, harmony. Look at these verses in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, may we, may, we have peace with God. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. 
Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserving, undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Let me put a little image on the screen that I hope, I hope will capture what that verse is talking about. What Paul is saying is the path to peace which is the path to happiness, true happiness, is to look back at a who, not a what, a who, at Jesus and what he has already done. That the God of the universe became a man and died on a cross for you to have peace with God. And that is done. Everybody can have it. Everybody can have peace with God because of what Jesus has Done, And so we look back at that with faith, believing that that includes us, that that includes you. And if you've heard that a hundred thousand times, it doesn't matter because as you hear it again right now, you can receive that same peace. And in faith, peace is produced and peace leads to joy and contentment and true satisfaction in this crazy life in the here and the now. And then that joy can abound and that, that contentment can be real as we look forward to the future of God's glory. When That just simply means when he brings everything together in shalom, in perfect peace and connectedness, and we see him and we see ourselves and we see others the way we were designed to be and the way God truly is. That day is coming, but now, in this moment, you can have peace because of Jesus, because of what he's already done. And happiness, you'll find, is in a who, not a what. It's in this person of Jesus, who we believe is the God of the universe. If you're restless today, if you're if you're discontent, if you're struggling with any aspect of your life, it doesn't matter if this is your first time in church or 10,000th time in church. This is the secret, and it's so simple. It's peace with God. That's the pathway to peace with others and peace with yourself. That's how it works. That's how it's always worked. That's how it will work because God wired this universe and designed you. That's the path that he invites you to take to experience real, meaningful happiness and joy, contentment, satisfaction. Next week, we're going to continue to talk about this idea. We're going to talk more specifically about how no matter what, no matter where, no matter why, you can have hope. And what a powerful reality that actually is. But right now, in this moment, I just want to give you an opportunity to let this be a spot to let this be a place where you can encounter God, where maybe, maybe Jesus, who's still seeking and saving the lost and who's still seeking and saving those of us who still have a way of getting lost, can encounter you and say your name and invite you to walk with him, to know him, connected in relationship. That's what he wants for you. That's what he offers to you. Lord, I pray 
as you invite us, that we would respond. Someone for the first time. Others of us, it feels like for the thousandth time, but we have a way of losing that sense of focus and peace and alignment with you. And I pray that you would encounter us in this moment. In this spot. This would be a sacred place. That we would hear from you. That we would receive the gift of your sacrifice, which leads to peace with God and peace with others and peace in our own hearts and souls. We're grateful. Amen.